You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Uh, we've been going on a series through Luke, and uh, we occasionally jump ahead a little bit. The reason we do this is because throughout the last few years, we've gone through all the Gospels, and they tell a lot of the same stories. So there's some themes that you've just heard me talk about so much, you're like, ah, oh, we get it already. And then there's other stories that you've heard so many times um, that we don't always hop back into those. And a bunch of you are like, no, Jamie, we haven't listened to anything you've said over the years. You could preach it again, but it's fine. It's fine. Uh, today we're going to move on into chapter 20, so we're jumping ahead a little bit. What you need to know is that uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at this point. This is a place in Luke that he said, that's where prophets go to die, which is super ironic because that's the place where the king is supposed to be, where the prophets should be the safest. But instead, as it ends up, God's people don't like to listen to God. And even if God were to send his own son to do the journey, they still probably wouldn't listen to him. So what's intriguing to me, though, I don't know if I ever fully realized this before, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he walks in, everybody celebrates him, they've heard of the miracles, they're shouting Hosanna, they're really into this guy, this minister, this itinerant minister who's outside of the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders doing miracles, doing great works. Everybody's into it. And then Jesus walks into the temple. And you know the Pharisees and the other religious leaders are like super, like, probably not into this. Here he is now in their own space, the place that they control, the place that's under their command. And Jesus walks in and is like, all right, let's see, what's he going to do? And he starts flipping tables and making whips <laughs> and chasing out people for the injustices that they're committing against, against everyone there. And that probably didn't go over super well. If you're like me, you're thinking, well, that's about how you end a ministry as soon as you start it, <laughs> right? If my first Sunday here at church, I came in and flipped a bunch of tables and said, you people don't even know how to worship God, I would be fired by the end of the day. Instead, people must have been into it because Jesus stuck around and preached for a while in the temple. Right, that's one way to get people's attention. Who is this guy? All right, now that we've done what we need to do, come here, let me teach you guys. And people hang on his every word. Not the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the other religious leaders. They come along and try to trick Jesus into saying things about hot topic issues hoping that he'll just mess up somewhere and say something that will get him kicked out of this area. But every time Jesus turns the tables back on them, so like they come up and they start doing things and, and Jesus flips it back. He's like, oh, well, John the Baptist said this. And then he kind of looks around because he has everybody's attention. Everybody's heard about John the Baptist. People love John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, was a prophet. He was the most recent prophet before Jesus. And then he looks at the Pharisees like, oh, well, John said that. I don't remember. Do you guys like John? <laughs> and they know that they can't say that they don't because everybody will turn on them. And so Jesus keeps just kind of flipping these arguments around 
on their heads, and it backfires on the Pharisees. So while he's in the temple, while he's being challenged by religious leaders and all these things going on, he tells one parable in particular. I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're going to hone in, especially on the end. This is kind of a parable about how God keeps sending prophets to Jerusalem, and nobody listens. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to his tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps, perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. I think there's a lot of different ways you can translate parables, but this one, one of the ones that I've been feeling lately is, is Jesus essentially calling Jerusalem out. We sent you prophets. You told them no. We sent you more prophets. You, you shamed them. We sent you more prophets. You wounded them. So we sent you the son of God, the prophet of prophets, and you killed him. For that reason, of course, God's not going to just like leave all this in your hands. He's going to give it to other people, the Gentiles. And they are not happy about this statement. But then Jesus turns on them. This is the focus that we're going to focus on right here. He quotes an old prophecy and says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now this temple that Jesus was around at this time had huge stones, massive stones. We know this because at one point the disciples walk away with Jesus outside of Jerusalem and they just stare at the temple from a distance and they say, look at those stones. Not usually the kind of thing that I'm always like, wow, that's a nice stone right there. But that's, that's what's going through their head as they're staring at Jerusalem. I think of like Stonehenge maybe. You know, We look at Stonehenge and we're like, how did this get here? <laughs> Who dragged these massive rocks to this spot? How many people did it take to put them up right here? Like, that's kind of the feeling that the disciples must have looking at this temple that they're building. Like, the massiveness of the very stones they're using to put this together is just unbelievable. But Jesus comes along and he looks at the kinds of things that we build. It's like, it's not about this stuff. There is one cornerstone that matters, and he's implying himself. Now, if you're an architect, Cornerstone is like one of the most important pieces of the building. It's kind of like the base, the foundation upon which you're going to build everything else on. And so when you're building a building, 
you probably want your important stone here to make sense, right? Because if you use something that didn't make sense, everyone would judge you. You would look at that and be like, what, what were you thinking? Like this was the foundation upon which everything else you made was building. They would look at Jesus and say, you, you're the cornerstone. You're, you're misshaped. You're, you're out of whack. You're, you got sharp edges. There's, there's not enough here that makes sense. You're the cornerstone. The church upon which the bricks are going to be laid on you is, this is what it looks like to be the foundation. I think Jesus shows us time and time again, yeah, I'm weird. I stand out. I don't make a lot of sense. The kind of building I'm building, it's, it's kind of miraculous when you see it, right? Like, how is that thing standing up? <laughs> how can that brick be right there and the whole thing is not falling over? Jesus is not like this massive, like, perfectly structured skyscraper. Jesus is like the leaning tower of Pisa, right? Where you walk by and you're like, am I off or is that thing off? I don't. Maybe if I just lean, is the world falling over on this side? I, there's something that seems miraculous and strange, and it causes people to stop and say, how is that standing? How does this make any sense? Was that on purpose, or was the architect just really bad and got super lucky? You know? That's more of what the church is like. That's more of what the foundation of Jesus is like. We see it, and we could do one of two things when we see it. We can say, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. This is like whoever built this was stupid. Or we can look at it and say, that is so miraculous, I can only make sense out of this by the supernatural. And I think that's what the church should be like. You are the bricks laid upon the foundation of Jesus. And when people look at us, they should see like, I can't believe that thing is standing. I can't. It's like, it's almost like a miracle. But so often, we want to round off the edges of Jesus. We want to like, eh, okay, so yeah, we ended up with Jesus as our cornerstone, but if we could just get him in a box, you know, like if he wasn't so sharp and jagged and confusing, if he wasn't so different, maybe we can get back to the cornerstone and kind of shave it down a little bit and put some cement in there or something. That's still what Christians act like with the cornerstone. We're always trying to figure out the rules and regulations as to how Jesus works. It didn't go super great in the Old Testament. It didn't go super great in Jesus' time when he ran into people that needed to put God in, in a box, right? Because Jesus then came along and just kept throwing people off with all the things that he did. I was watching The Chosen this week for a class. I did everything I could to not like this show because Christian media is so bad, but it's so good and I'm crying a lot while I'm watching it. Sorry, I tried to not like it. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Uh, but it's, it's so beautiful. And one of my favorite lines that I've seen so far is Jesus with his 12 disciples. They keep challenging him on everything that he does. They're like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't the way that we do things. And Jesus just turns to them. And I don't know what gospel this is out of, but it's perfect for just summarizing Jesus' work is get used to different. It's the message version probably. I don't know. Get used to different. Get used to it not making sense, to it not fitting perfectly in your box into the, the shape. Because Jesus, everywhere he went, 
He kept doing things differently. He hung out with the wrong people. Gossip was generated about him everywhere he went. Gossip that could have been overcome if he just played by the rules. But he didn't. The disciples he chose were not seemingly to any of us the kind of people that you would choose to be disciples. The things the disciples say seem so egregious to us sometimes that we're just like, how do we end up with these people? The people that Jesus eats with and hangs out with are not the kind of people that the church is known to eat and hang out with. All the things that Jesus does across the board, get used to different because he doesn't fit in your box. When God puts on skin and comes to earth, it's probably not going to match up with what you thought. Holiness looks a lot more intriguing than you originally considered. But if you're like me, you're always trying to put him in that box. That if I just do A, B, C, D, if I can create my own law as to how Jesus works, I'll have this great relationship and my Christianity will be booming. And I remember one morning in college, I woke up and I made a list. Here are the things I'm going to do to get my Jesus life on track. I'm going to wake up and read one chapter of a Christian book that's going to grow me in some way. I'm going to read two chapters in the morning and two chapters of night of an Old Testament and New Testament passage. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night, and I'm going to do a few more things. I made that. I was like, this is it. This is how I get to Jesus right here. This is, this is the way that he's shaped. This is the way that he looks, and it's, it's going to be perfect. And I go to a small group that night, and Ken Brewer, we had him speak at uh, Reveal recently, a few weeks ago. Uh, he was my mentor at the time. He's praying for me and my friends and as he comes to pray for me, he prophesies without even knowing it, which is kind of his thing. He's just like, God, would, would Jamin not turn you into a checklist? <laughs> what the heck, Ken? I just figured Jesus out this morning. Why are you making me backtrack already? I just put all the perfect boxes. I, I rounded him out. No, he wants to be a relationship. And when you have a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, he's able to speak into things all the time. He's able to flow with you in the same way that he flowed with his disciples, in the same way that he led his disciples. The edgy moments will come because you'll find yourselves in situations that you didn't expect to be in because following Jesus is different. Have you ever had a relationship that was like the one I was trying to build with my father that morning? All right, God, you're a program, I think, so I tried to figure out. Here, well, I'll spend this much time with you in the morning. It's going to be great. <laughs> Is that how your marriage works? Is that how your friendships work? I've programmed it out. I've systematized it in such a way that this will bring us closer together if we just do A, B, C, D. No, Jesus wants a close relationship with you. His Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the helper, the counselor, the one that knows how to give you the kinds of things that you need to know to do what you need to do. That in the same way Jesus walked into places where he knew he was supposed to be to minister to people about things that he knew he was supposed to minister to them to, that's what your life can be like with the Holy Spirit. Not putting the perfect edges on it. The disciples wanted the perfect edges. Jesus, we've been looking for you all morning. We finally found you. You've been out here praying. Sure figured. All right, let's get back to town. We did a lot of great stuff there yesterday. Lots of miracles. They're ready. Let's, let's go. The harvest is ripe. 
And Jesus just turns to them and says, no, we're going to go somewhere else today. What? No, no, no. You, Jesus, you don't understand. Get used to different. I know the ministry we just did was very fruitful. I know lots of people got healed and crazy things happened. We're going to a different town today because that's what my father has told me. That's what the relationship with the Holy Spirit has propelled me to do. Follow me. Man, Peter ended up in the weirdest place. I'm sure like he, he must have felt so far out of his reach. He becomes one of the other kind of uh, stones here that God is going to build his church on. Because he looks to Peter and says, Simon, you are now a rock. Simon the rock Johnson Peter. He changes Peter's name to the rock because on Peter, Jesus is going to build his church on the works that Peter does. And Peter was not expecting the kind of religion that came about after Jesus left. Like it's one thing for Jesus to do the weird stuff and to just follow Jesus and be like, well, he knows what he's doing. Different. I guess we're going to do it. But it's another thing to be Peter and now the Holy Spirit's talking directly to you and you have to be the face of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because Peter had rules. He had regulations. He, he had tried to still understand Jesus in his own boxes. And so when the Holy Spirit came to Peter and gave him a vision and then gave him lots of proof that this vision was true, Peter didn't know what to do with it. Because the Holy Spirit said, you're going to go eat and reach Gentiles, the outsiders. You are going to break the laws that we have set in place. I'm doing a new thing now. The kinds of stuff that you are about to do is going to feel weird because it seems outside of what you're allowed to do. But it's not. I'm telling you, this is clean. And do not call the kinds of things that I'm doing unclean. So Peter is left in this state of turmoil and just absolute confusion because now the Holy Spirit is proving to him over and over again, I am reaching the Gentiles. And I know that's not weird to you guys because you're all probably Gentiles. For us in this room, it just feels natural that that is a normal part of, of what God is doing. But that was not how Peter felt. He thought he would be sinning by doing this. But he's pushed outside of his comfort zone. He's pushed into another place where following Jesus again becomes jagged and edgy. And how often does the church get in trouble these days when we keep trying to put Jesus in a box? When the rest of the world starts screaming about something and we're like, well, we got rules and regulations, can't touch that, that's unclean. We think you're misunderstanding it and we're still using especially the Old Testament to make our point instead of the Holy Spirit. How often does the world see Jesus as our cornerstone, but we have been trying to chisel him into something else? <laughs> Hang on, we're just finishing construction over here so we can address your problems. Are you sure? Because when I read the Gospels here, it seems kind of jagged, seems kind of confusing, seems kind of different. How often would the church be ahead of the game if we just pause to listen to the Holy Spirit? Now, I realize this is dangerous preaching too, right? Because we could literally say the Holy Spirit told us anything and just completely preach and do heresy. And the Bible's got a lot to say about that. So that's not what we're aiming for here. But when we build a relationship with Jesus, 
or the Holy Spirit, which Acts specifically calls the Spirit of Jesus. When we build a relationship with Jesus, we are going to find ourselves in situations that don't make sense. We are going to have the kinds of stories that we've had here at 1208. When we did dinner church and two guys started fighting about a boyfriend and it almost turned into a fist fight. Where we do dinner church and we hear stories of all kinds of crazy things that are happening that we, we haven't even noticed. Where I get yelled at before I go up on stage in front of everybody. The stories go on and on of all the different kinds of things that, that we encountered. But that was the jagged Jesus ministry. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't polished. Where people are challenged not only by the kinds of things that they believe, but the kinds of things that they want to participate in. That's all good. I'm glad you guys are doing something like that. I myself, I don't, I'm a germaphobe, can't be around those kinds of germs that you might bring in as you're reaching homeless or bed bugs or things like that. I'm going to head a different way. I don't know. This is jagged Jesus ministry. I like that. Jagged Jesus ministry. The cornerstone doesn't make sense. When we look at Jesus, sometimes we have to pause and say, Am I straight or is Jesus, like, which, which way am I supposed to bend to make sense here? As the Holy Spirit continues to do work in your heart, I encourage you, listen to him. Talk with him. Turn your prayer into conversation, not into requests, not into a genie wish list. When you find yourself in a situation that, that puts you on the spot, Allow the Spirit to, to say, here's what I would do in this situation. Here's how I would love best. Here's the kind of peace that I would bring in this spot. Because the answer is not always to just rise up and shout judgment. I think that's probably rarely the answer. Jesus' most judgmental words were always at the religious people. Not at the sinner's. Jesus' words to the sinners are actually very gentle and kind and low-key. But when we try to chisel God into something that he's not, well, Jesus has a lot to say about that. You whitewashed tombs that look pretty on the outside, but you're nothing but dry bones on the inside. Jesus, I felt premeditated. <laughs> that was a rather intense comment to make. I feel like you were working that one up in the background. Unless that was just a common insult that people threw around at the time. It felt like Monty Python level of, of vicious. I fought in your general direction. <laughs> if you haven't seen Monty Python, that made no sense. Okay. Um, as we wrap up here, why don't you just take a moment, close your eyes, go to the Holy Spirit. And ask him to bring to your mind a situation that you've been in recently or Maybe, actually, any situation you've been in where he feels like he might want to say there's a different way we could have gone about that. There's a more jagged, edgy, confusing way in which my spirit would have liked to work in that moment. For me, he's been bringing something up to my mind uh, for weeks now. <laughs> Maybe I should be obedient and send this email. He's been bringing something to my mind for weeks now. If Jamin, there was a different way he could have gone about that right then. Give him a moment to speak.
Jesus, we know we could spend a lot of time here because often when we ask you to speak, there are few prayer requests you are quicker to answer than uh, um, ones where we ask for conviction. So may we come back to you later so that you can continue this conversation. But right now as we come before you in, in your presence and ask the Spirit of Jesus to speak to us, would we use this either micro or macro moment of a way where we try to round off the edges of you so that people would... would uh, um, see us in a different light when perhaps you wanted to be jagged in that moment when we take those convictions and not only allow them to to correct something we've done in the past but to not make those mistakes again Jesus you didn't deal with rules and regulations you dealt with people human beings each one different in their own context So sure, you could preach on one side of things that no one should ever get divorced, but then at the same time, you could run into someone who had been divorced five times and leave her so uh, loved that she would run away to tell everybody, you got to meet this guy. Even if she in that moment did not match your teaching, you reacted differently in that moment because you are a person. God, you are a person with your own thinking, your own operations, your own beauty and loveliness. Don't let us carve you into our image, but let us be carved into yours, as jagged as that sometimes might be. It's a cornerstone that everybody else rejected because it just didn't make sense. Well, That ended up being the cornerstone upon which you built everything. Where crucifixion is a way forward, where shoveling is a way up. So we give our hearts to you, and we ask for your help moving forward from here. In Jesus' name, amen.